0: there. If you'd like them to be with you, you can keep them. For the rest of you, turn to 2 Corinthians 4 as we return to our study of God's Word. Everything that we've tried to do this morning has been geared to magnify what we're about to do. Okay, so uh, the worship consists, of course, in all forms of the things that we did. It consists in lifting the Lord's name in song. It it consists of prayer and being humble before the Lord. It's worship of His uh, authority and His uh, sovereignty over all of us in giving it is in worship recognizing he's the one that gave everything to you and so you worship that way and in the reading of the word is worship as we recognize his word is authoritative and has uh extrinsic authority in our own life and in the outworkings of our life and what we do and so this is uh we've focused on this this is where we'd like to know what the mind of the lord is and have it be translated into our actions and so that's our desire this morning right you can agree with that i think with me and so let's look there. Uh, it's a joy to be back here with you. And our desire today is to, is to finish up this chapter. And so there are many things to cover. So I'd like to get in uh, to some of the introductory statements here and then right into the Word of God. Over the last several weeks, we've been taking a journey through the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, marking the apostles' waypoints. We've just kind of given them that, uh, that description. Their waypoints, if you will, if you think about a GPS. Uh, System waypoints that are markers that help us navigate difficult times, keep us on course, regardless of what the sea may do, uh, keep us focused and pointed in the right direction. And they were keys to his lasting ministry and his fulfilled life. That obviously translates to us. And so we are taking it at face value, as the Apostle Paul has described his own heart to the church. That becomes what we uh, desire to do. And we have examined some of the most difficult parts of Paul's ministry uh, we've been able to mark his responses uh, again exemplary and and it uh, becomes uh, our our point that we want to focus on as well last week we saw really this most humbling response from Paul to the difficulties in his life and i'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 15 if you would even though the lord was at work in him and through those things and those difficulties made jesus clear to those who have watched his responses. Here's what he says. He says this about everything that he's gone through, a very humbling thing to hear, perhaps humbling as well as we do it. For all things are for your sakes, he says. So think back of everything we've talked about with the Apostle Paul, all the cross-references we've made in places where he's been and things that have happened to him. And he looks at them uh, with a very even keel and says, for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. So along with all the purposes of God at work in his life and, and uh, to accomplish the Lord's plan, along with revealing Jesus in his persecution, perhaps even in his death, ultimately he knew no matter how things turned out, Paul revealed really an overarching purpose in his responses. He says, for all things are for your sake. And I would just pause there, beloved, because we stopped there last time. And just think about the difficult times that you've gone through would you be okay with it if you were going through a difficult time whatever that is in your life if it was just for someone else if the Lord allowed you to go through that just for someone else we're very we're very uh, narcissistic society are we? we we really love ourselves we want ourselves to do the best we we are we have an overvalued opinion of ourselves and our own abilities we, it's just everything about ourselves and we want to make ourselves the most comfortable that we can possibly make ourselves and and, and I'm not saying that being comfortable and allowing the Lord's blessing on your life is a bad thing it's not um, I'm just saying that would you be able to say that in the middle of your difficult time it was just for the sake of other people to watch and see and have Christ be magnified would you be okay with it because that's really what Paul's saying all things are for your sake everything I've been through all the difficult things all the hardships all, all the persecution all the health issues all the things that have gone on in my life it's for your sake everything you went through uh, God would use for the benefit of others and, and that Understanding really is key. As we come down to these last few verses, we become very, 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 very solid foundations to stand on here. All things are for your sake, he says. And and that understanding is really going to be key to your lasting ministry and your fulfilled life. If you understand that, if, if it could be okay that the things that, difficulty things and things that happen to you are for someone else, would you be okay with that? You're getting to the mind where Paul ha- is. You're getting to the point where it's okay uh, that the Lord use you to be an example, that the Lord uh, bring you through difficult times that you reveal Jesus in your persecution, perhaps even your death. And so he says, uh, all things are for your sake. And that's a, a very important understanding of your lasting ministry. And the outcome of your ministry is that last part of verse 15. Look there in your copy of God's word. Uh, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. And that was our waypoint number 18, really a outp- uh, yeah, cumulative outcome outcome of your life and the idea is is as you do what you have to do and you go through what you have to go through and you do it in the way that God has intended for you to do it it's going to produce a cumulative gospel effect so none of those things that you're going through uh, are for nothing and uh, over time you're going to have this guarantee people are being saved and more and more voices are being added uh, to the course of worship and that's what that means see As you go through the difficult things, if you handle them in the way that Paul has described for you, more and more people are giving thanks that abound to the glory of God. People watch you go through uh, a difficult time in in your life. They watch you go through uh, physical hardship. They watch you go through a financial hardship. And you don't know what's happening, but what's happening is they're going home, and when they think about those things, they're giving thanks to the Lord, see? And you don't know it, but as you go through your ministry, as you pull yourself out for ministry, as you, as you give yourself away and you do all that, and people watch that over the course of your life, more and more people go home and they go to another place and they start thinking about how you've lived your life and then the Lord gets praised. That's the whole idea, see? It's a cumulative effect over the course of your life. And now as we look at these last couple of sections, we start seeing Paul taking bigger and bigger swaths of your life, see? You have that guarantee people are being saved. And every time you do your ministry, every time you respond, and these are, when Paul thinks about, you know, all things, we can look really closely to what he just got through saying, all the things we've looked at over the last, you know, uh, 14 verses. Uh, Every time you do your ministry, every time you respond in such a way that it's clear that everything you have is because of mercy. In other words, when somebody insults you, somebody offends you, somebody jumps the gun on you, whatever, you just, you, you you can shrug that off. Why? Because you can endure anything if you realize that everything you have is a result of mercy. See, every, every time you deal with hidden uh, sinful things in the right way, you know, and people watch you struggle with purity and, and, and make sure that you have a pure life and make sure you have an upstanding life and there's no scandals around you and all those kinds of things, you're, you're, you're recognizing those things that are shameful and you're, you're dealing with them on a daily basis, see, and they watch you over the long haul. They realize, hey, it, it can be done. And every time you proclaim the truth and every time you're broken by the, the death trap the world's in and so, so you are motivated to the point uh, that you want to point them to the only one who could deliver them from it. See, when, when your hope is that and you know that that's the only hope of the world and you give that out and every time you make your life about service and every time you take your hands off the outcome. See. You're not you're not concerned about whether or not something happened at the end that was pleasing to you and that you were, you know, this is worthy of the effort you put in, but it's just, you know, here I'm gonna put the effort in, and I'm gonna leave the outcome up to the Lord. And and every time you acknowledge that anything good that happens is God at work, and every time you go through difficult times and you don't accuse the Lord, but you live in such a way that make Jesus clearly seen, see. You see, these are cumulative effects of those kinds of things, just little things every single day, right? Difficult times and you don't accuse the Lord, why me, Lord? you know there's a couple of different ways you can you can respond you can have a difficult time to say why me again lord or you can say okay lord you've chosen me help me manage this in the way that's going to bring you glory and over time see people watch that over the course of your life that's Paul's point see and and every time you know the fear of death is on you and you face it with the certainty of the resurrection and a sure hope of the future even though you've got a death sentence on you, perhaps you just you have a sure hope of the future and it's about the resurrection and you're okay with whatever that is, see? We're looking more of that today because Paul really takes a, a magnifying glass on that. Every time you pour yourself out as a drink offering for the ministry, every time you speak what's true from the word of God and you live it out with no thought of your own glory, you just do that over and over. And every time there's no difference between what you say and what, and, and what you say you believe and what you're willing to proclaim. And all the times you do that over the course of your life, there's this cumulative effect. There's this... Uh, this all of these spirit-controlled responses, and that 's what these are, right spirit-controlled responses, and you can take great comfort in knowing this is all for someone else's sake. see there's a, there's a cumulative blessing going on behind the scenes, and you're going through it, and you're responding to it, and you're enduring it, and you're being patient in it, and you're being faithful to it, and if this is your ministry, then you can be sure that it's going to have a lasting effect. People are watching how you, how you pour yourself out for ministry, and people are watching how you deal in holiness, and they, and they watch uh, your life, and they see what's important. See, And, uh, and so, of course, you're never going to have to worry about whether your life made any difference, See, because if you're doing it this way, it is making a difference, and you have that guarantee. And if you're looking through the eyes of faith, then there's going to be this tremendous fulfillment in, in, in your life that God is going to give you. Now, look at verse 16, and we'll get right into our new section, if you would. First Corinthians 4, verse 16. We'll read to the end of the chapter. And again, we hear this phrase, and we're going to look at it in just a second. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, verse 18. While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And there's gonna be some magnificent waypoints here, I think just keeping you generally pointed in the right direction. And it all begins with these words, therefore we do not lose heart. See, and we, we've seen that before. It's certainly harkening back to what he just said He pulls us in. We do not lose heart. You're included with Paul's statement. I'm included. Uh, You know, the wonderful guarantee that a life guided by the waypoints he's laid out for us is going to result in more and more people giving thanks and glory to God. So we don't lose heart because we know that your life is going to matter as you begin to incorporate these spiritual responses uh, connected to the growth of spirituality in your own life. And it also reminds us that this is where Paul started in verse one. In verse one, he said, remember, therefore, you can look back there if you want. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we've received mercy, we don't lose heart. And he uses the exact same phrase, see? To lose heart means to become cowardly. It means to become timid, faint-hearted, weak, hopeless, fearful. To lose your boldness. Any of those things will apply there. Your bravery, your courage to become weary, faint-hearted. To, to quit, to fold up your tent, if you will, to bail out. He goes, Paul says, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy... In, in spite of everything that's happened, Paul says here at verse one. In spite of everything that's happened, everything that gets poured out on me, all the difficult times I've had, I just realize it's all mercy anyway. And so I can I can manage this if it's all mercy and I didn't get what I deserved. So I don't lose heart. In Second Timothy chapter four verse seven, he says, you know, I fought the good fight. So how did he get to the point where he could say, you know, I I don't lose heart? And he could say in Second Timothy four seven, I fought the good fight. I have finished the course, I've kept the faith. How do you get through everything and be able to say that? See, and, and that's what we would like to be able to say, right? I fought the good fight. Of, uh, I have finished the course, I've kept the faith. We don't want to get to the end and say, I didn't finish my course, and I certainly didn't keep the faith. So obviously that's where we want to, do, want to be at the end of lasting ministry, which leads to a life well spent, perhaps very much in spite of obvious circumstances. He's able to say that, and you are. And, and, and how can we be obedient to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1? Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and run the race with endurance that is set before us. And so be able to say at the end that what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 uh, not only run the race, but get to the end and, uh, you know, and not say, Phew, I'm done. But in the middle of it, be able to say uh, what Paul said I have not lost heart. Let's see, you know, I, I'm not crushed, I'm not despairing, I'm not forsaken, I'm not destroyed. So there's more here that's going on on the inside with Paul and we're going to look at that today and Paul is going to reveal some things he can see happening on the outside of his body and some things that are going to reveal that are happening on the inside. But in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 4, remember Paul said this, he said, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labor, sleeplessness, and hunger. And I would say that probably, you know, five of those we've never experienced. I mean, maybe, maybe one or two of you have experienced that. Uh, certainly for the faith I don't think perhaps anyone in here has had beatings imprisonments uh, labors uh, hunger perhaps maybe I don't know a little further down he says in 2 Corinthians 6 8 through 10 he says uh, in glory and dishonor by evil report and good report regarded as deceivers and yet true so you know he's, what he's saying is true people say he's a liar they're they're defaming his character bad reports about him as unknown, yet well-known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. You know, evil reports, you know, called a deceiver, an unknown, dying, punished, sorrowful, poor, having nothing. You know, difficult, hard existence. And and he could have just named the negative parts and put them in a meme on, on Facebook and said, this is my life, the negative parts. Oh, woe is me. That's, that's not what Paul does, though, is it? How about if you had a ministry like that? One with dishonor and evil report and regarded as a deceiver and regarded as an unknown, you're, you're no big deal, right? Um, in the midst of dying, perhaps, from time to time, punished, yet not put to death, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor. See, would you stick it out and run your race and get the prize? Because that's the reality of a lot of believers around the world. I mean, that's exactly what they have to do on a day-to-day basis. What if you had a marriage that was tough? What if you do have a marriage that's tough? Or your life, what if your life has some difficult things in it? What if it does? Would you be able to say, I don't lose heart? And, and the answer that Paul uh, gave to us, key to lasting ministry to fulfill life, is you know those things are connected, and he could say yes. So obviously, it's possible to say yes. It's also it's possible not to lose heart. How about that snapshot we saw in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three? He says, "In far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten time without number, oft in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews thirty nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned." Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and day I've spent in the deep. I've, I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst off without food in cold and exposure. This is Paul's life, and yet he says we don't lose heart, even though all these things are part of my normal life. There's got to be something here. and he says the same thing again here in the next part of verse 16 and catch the thing that typically would indicate the opposite okay a reason why some would lose heart and it could just be the summary of everything he's been through or it could be a general observation for all of us this is that this is the course of life but look at verse 16 he says but though our outer man is decaying um, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day so our outer man is decaying you could lose heart about that right that our outer man man is decaying. I see a lot of you young people are like, oh, my outer man is fine. You're not very far away and maybe you also are a little bit deceived. You don't do what you used to do and the older you get, the more that gets excluded. So if that's the sum of your life, what you can do physically, what you can do mentally, then you're gonna have a difficult time as you get older, right? So you, you could certainly be discouraged about that Paul says, "But we don't lose heart. But though our outer man is to is decay, and that's our next waypoint. And if you're keeping track, uh, it's a very important key to lasting ministry, fulfilled life. Here it is, beloved. You will have lasting ministry when you value the inner man over the outer, or when you value spiritual strength over physical." In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul said that he does not lose heart because he realized the greatness of the ministry upon which he embarked and that everything was, everything was, was uh, mercy. And then in verses 16 and 18, he says he doesn't lose heart because while afflictions affect the outer man so that it wastes away, his inner man is being renewed every day. And we're going to see this in a moment, but he keeps the correct perspective concerning the pressures of this life. They are, he says, but light and momentary. Now, they might not seem that way to you right now. But there is a comparison that helps us keep this perspective. And these are really important keys, I think, for us. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But back to the first part of verse 16. But though our outer man is decaying, he says, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now, that outer man is decaying, that part reminds me of a favorite movie of mine, a movie line delivered by Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Perhaps you remember this part. It's observed that he's really beat up. It's after he's been drugged behind a truck and climbed on top and beat up like 20 Germans and all of that. You, you know, I think you know the part. His co-star, Karen Allen says this, quote, you're not the man I knew 10 years ago. And Harrison Ford responds, it's not the years, honey. It's the what? It's the mileage. Yeah, you know that movie. Yeah, I love that part. It's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. And that's what, you know, the Automancy King, that's what it reminds me of. It's not the years, honey. It's the mileage right and certainly Paul could say that it's not th- I mean Paul was a relatively young man and yet he was at that point say the outer man is decaying day by day and as we just read uh, part of the uh, part of his life in snapshots it's not surprising right I mean your body's going to take a beating over and over again it's going to begin to break down and I think we can all look in the mirror and see that and it would be easy to lose heart if you think that the aphorism YOLO is true the acronym you only live once because if you think that's true then you're very discouraged okay if this is the sum total of all who you, all that you are in just a few years from now it's not going to be very great but you see the reason why paul was able to endure anything that came along in the physical realm was because he was excited about what was happening in the spiritual realm now let's break this apart paul paul starts with but though and and that phrase and and there are similar ones that we see in scripture like even if so he says but though it really introduces a condition assumed to be true so sometimes we use the word since in our conversations since this is true since this is a fact he says uh, even though our outer man what what does he mean by the outer man well he just means the body in verse seven he talks about the body as an earthen vessel or a clay pot remember he uses the word body back in verse 10 we carry about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus talk about the physical body Verse 11, he uses the term mortal flesh. He says, our mortal flesh is experiencing death. So now in verse 16, it appears he has the same thing in mind with this term, the outer man. And it's, it, it's perishable. It's decaying. Diaphterete. It's a compound word. It's from the verb diabolo, sent over, and thithro, to corruption. Sent over to corruption. That's the word. The idea of throwing something into the rubbish heap. The idea of throwing something into the dump. That's great, isn't it? As you look into the mirror, you realize that your body is solely being thrown in the dump. That's what Paul says. Present passive indicative. So this is the current state of affairs. Our body is being acted on apart from us. So a force is applied from the outside. It's certainly then a symptom of the curse. So we could say that the force of the curse on our body is acting on it from the outside, right? So uh, the world and everything that's in it and all the contaminants and everything you take in, you know, certainly the curse of sin on the body itself, that it is lent to corruption, that it's given a certain amount of days to live, perhaps a little bit more, depending on what, uh, the Lord's uh, will for that. So it could be the, the curse. We could easily make an argument that it is being given over to corruption by the curse. It's also those things that Paul had to go through I think it's easily enough uh, pointed out that hardship and suffering is part of ministry, caring about in his body, the dying of Jesus. You know, it's, it's not the years, honey, it's the mileage. And so I, I think that could be, you could easily make an argument for that. Um, it can be any number of things, but it's, it is referring to our physical characteristics, our body, all the internal parts, uh, the function of our brains, all that's part of, of us is decaying. It, it is the current and continual process of dying. And, and, and present tense, he's very aware of that. Let's see. This is the reality for him and for all. And we could say here initially he's just talking about the normal process of aging and we're all experiencing it to one degree of joy or another. We're experiencing aging, right? And, um, and we understand it and, and, and it's reality and it's an undeniable reality. It, go, it goes on every moment of every day. And as we said a moment ago, maybe it's not necessarily a happy thought, but it is the reality. Now Solomon in, in Ecclesiastes verse 12 pictures it for us and he does it in kind of a funny way, at least to me. Uh, when I read this passage, I, I chuckle at this because of the way he uses illustrations to tell us what's going on. And I think you'll be able to relate in some respect to, to all of these things. And we'll just look at it briefly because we don't need to be convinced that this is happening because you saw it this morning when you got up. But Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no delight in them. In other words, you know, turn to God when you're young, before you get old and life gets hard turn to God and give him the early years then he humorously gives us descriptions of what the latter years are going to look like in verse two he says this he says before the sun and the light the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain in other words when things get a lot more depressing things are a lot darker you don't feel as good as you used to you don't get joy out of the simple things like before gloomy outlook on life that's one of the things that happens as you start getting older in the flesh. Verse 3 says, In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, and mighty men stoop, and the grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dim. So the watchmen of the house, those are the arms and the hands, those are things which are used to protect you, and they begin to shake when you get old. And the mighty men, those are the legs and the back, that's the greatest muscles in the body, they start to lose their power and they bend, and the grinding ones stand idle, obviously the teeth, this is great because he says, because they are few. And some of you are laughing through your dentures right now. And those who look through the windows grow dim. So that's the eyes. And uh, the eyes are the window pane, cataract surgery, and all of that. You can't see like you used to see. And it, you know if you're not depressed yet, look at verse four. And the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. And one will arise at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of song will sing softly. So the doors on the street, that has to do with your mouth, uh, because as you get older, you don't have much of an appetite, and uh, the sound of the grinding is low. You're not eating as much as you used to. You just don't feel like you have an appetite. And it says, we'll arise at the sound of a bird. So old age can bring the inability to sleep late, and so when the birds start to sing, you're up with them. Some of you understand that. And and, uh, and the daughters of song will sing softly. So in other words, you might not be the rocker you used to be, either the music's going to be too loud or you can't hear it, one of the two, okay? So it's one of those deals where you just get older and, and you just don't like it or you can't hear it. You know, verse five, don't worry, we're almost done. Hopefully you'll embrace Paul's comments when we are uh, at, because he says, you know, the, the physical man is decaying. So you're, you're going to be looking more towards the next one. Verse five says this, furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road and The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, the caper berry is ineffective for a man goes to his eternal home while mourners uh, go about in the street. Men are afraid, it just means you stop enjoying heights and you worry about things that can happen. He says, terrors along the road, you start thinking about all the possible scenarios where things would go wrong. The almond tree blossoms, when an almond tree blossoms it turns white with flowers and that just means your hair is gonna turn white and instead of jumping and running everywhere like the grasshopper, everything slows down for you just kind of dragging along. The caper berry is ineffective. That's the strong berry of, uh, flavor of capers. You probably recognize what that is. It uses garnish and seasoning and to invigorate your appetite. Nothing really invigorates anything at all when you're getting older. Eventually we go to the way of all flesh and people who miss us, they're gonna mourn. And, uh, and then Solomon reminds the reader, "Don't wait too long to know the Lord." He says in verse six, he says, "Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher of by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed." Verse seven, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. In other words, the end can come suddenly, not over the long term, uh, when everything is broken and nothing can be fixed. And it might not come over time. It might come in a moment. He says, so remember who he is and what he requires early in your life. And then Solomon says, in light of either of those ends, whether it's long-term and slowly over time, you can't do the things you used to do or whether it's immediate and, and everything is broken and not beyond remedy. He says verse eight, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. In other words, all this is just so empty. See, a path that leads to a trench, that leads to a ditch, that leads to a grave. That's Solomon's perspective here. See? This is from a fleshly perspective. Okay, that's the end of my sermon today. I'll see you guys next week. That's the outside, if you think about it. And I want you to think, if you will, about your unsaved family members and and their friends. People who are unsaved in your life. Because their bodies are falling apart. And they are, for the most part, consumed by efforts to put off the effects of the Grim Reaper. If you think about the unsaved, that that really is their main emphasis. I mean, that's billions and billions of dollars in industry to put off the effects of aging. And the fact that they are racing down this road is really tragic for them because, mark this, it's the decay of everything. This is everything. It's all that they have. They are outwardly wasting away like everyone else, but they're also inwardly wasting away. Their attitudes are worse. As they get older, their vices have found a home, and the wages of sin are being paid out, and they have participated in their own destruction, and they are perishing inwardly. That is the sum of the unredeemed. They are going the same path that we are, and yet there is no other part That's all they have. And I think it's interesting that Solomon wrote this passage from the fleshly perspective. And then he wrote this one in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. And he says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. That's a really great perspective, isn't it? In other words, a path that leads to a brighter and brighter vista and finally to the wonder of eternity instead of a trench that leads to a ditch that leads to a pit that leads to a grave and a headstone but then he wrote right after that in Proverbs 4 verse 19 the way of the wicked is like darkness they do not know over what they stumble they're going the same way as you're going and they're in darkness there's no way for them to understand all this process but you do right you have the good news don't you You know why instead of a narrow chamber that leads to a grave, there could be a widening path that steps out into eternity. See, they've lost heart. They, They go along with Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes 12. See, it's all vanity. What's the point? They've lost heart. But Paul says in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outer man is decaying, even though we see this happening and we look in the mirror every morning, and we think, you know, we lose more of our highs and lows and all of that, see? We can feel the effects of the years and the mileage, and, and it would be easy to say all's vanity and give up. But we don't give up because, yet, Paul says, counteracting the discouragement we may feel about that, what? Our inner man is being renewed day by day. And that's being renewed. And Akhenutai, another compound word, anna, that's among, or in the, in the midst of, and kahinos, which is newness, we are in the midst of newness, and again the verb is present passive indicative, so the believer, this is reality of the believer being acted on in the inner man, the new you, constantly it says being brought into freshness, the opposite of what's happening to the body, where the body is constantly being brought to the dump, the inner man is constantly being brought to freshness, see? So Paul can see in a mirror a polished piece of steel that they would have had back then. He can see that he looks different. He, can, he knows when he wakes up in the morning that he's got his bumps and his bruises and his limps and his hardships and all that stuff and it all pains him when he gets up and he sees all that but he's not discouraged because this reality causes Paul and every believer because he says we don't lose heart to not be discouraged. The Lord's up to something each and every day. He's opening up that vista. Now, here's the deal. How does he do that? How does that happen from an application perspective? So the next couple of seconds or minutes, we're gonna look at that. How do we go through what's happening to the body, whether by years or miles, given over to decay, being thrown away, and yet continually being refreshed on the inside? How does that happen? Okay, so I'm gonna bring some verses to mind that maybe resonate with you. There's places on your notes where you can jot a few down that are important. Okay. Depending on where you are in your life, some will be more important to you, perhaps, than the person set next to you. But my encouragement is to give you enough that you can say, okay, how does this refreshing occur? Where do I get this refreshing? When I look at the body with its painful uh, its painful bumps, its bruises, its, its disease, its hardship, whatever it is, and I see you know, I'm losing everything about what I used to do, uh, what does the Lord do for those who are his? How can Paul say, my inner man is being refreshed day by day? Well, the most obvious thing I think that each of us has experienced before we go to this first verse in Ephesians chapter three, verse 16, because Paul has a prayer there for that very thing for the church. But before we get there, I just wanna to draw to your mind. And I think you can know this, especially if you look back on hardship and you managed it in the way that the Lord wanted you to, your troubles and your trials and the pain in your life and the difficulty, um, they all contribute to renewed strength. Why? Because they drove you to the Lord. There's nothing like a monetary hardship. There's nothing like a health hardship to immediately invigorate your, your prayer life, right? There's nothing like some difficulty that's come up, some unforeseen bump in the road, and what happens? The first thing you do is what? You seek the Lord if you're a believer, right? I and mean, that's what I do. I mean, if something comes up, if it was unexpected, I didn't know what was coming, it, You know, something happens, the first thing I do is ask the Lord for understanding. Lord, give me understanding about this and how I should respond. Lord, help us through this. Maybe it's just a cry, for, Lord, we need your help. And so... I think as we look back over before we get to any of our verses we understand that there's renewed strength just because when you get into difficult times the first thing you do the first thing it does really is drive you to the lord when paul was being assaulted he went to god and he found there spiritual strength and when he had nothing left in his own strength what did he say you know to minister he leaned on the strength and the spirit of god and that's where he found divine energy that made him a powerful person i'm content with my weakness he says For when i'm weak then i am strong was he strong physically well, that's precisely the point. No, he was not strong spiritually. I mean physically, but he was strong spiritually. That, the, the passage helps us understand that as he leaned on the Lord, he became powerful in a spiritual sense. And each time that happened, Paul's strength was renewed. And that's illustrated then as Paul makes this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. And uh, maybe this will resonate with you. Maybe some others I'll tack on here. But um, in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, he's praying for the church in Ephesus. And he's praying for these things. He says in verse 16, he says that, and so he's, I seek the Lord in prayer that he would, so you can see the prayer, moving towards the church. And I hope you pray for the church in this way. If you're praying for the church, just let me encourage you. There's at least eight passages in the New Testament that are directly to the church. Write one of those down and stick it on your computer screen or wherever you're going to look and pray for the church that way, okay? I mean, I appreciate you saying we're praying for the church and Lord, help the church. Great. You know, the church has people in it. It has needs. It has faces. And we, we understand what the church needs, particularly as we read the New Testament. So let me encourage you to make this your prayer and perhaps this will encourage you as we read it, that he would grant you, this is Paul praying for the church, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in the inner man. In other words, the Lord can refresh us. He can fortify us with power for ministry and witness and service and obedience. And there is this refreshing that happens when he's at work through you. See, As you begin to work in his power, that's refreshing. And we saw there's this cumulative effect of lasting ministry. And so you can be refreshed that way, can't you? As you think about the course of your life and how long you've been a believer, walking with the Lord and desiring to do these things, you can look back over your life and you may not be able to see it behind you, Right? may just look like a wake in the ocean and pretty soon it just fades away and it doesn't even look like you passed by but the Lord says that your cumulative effect of your ministry has made more and more people come to the Lord and give thanks to him so you can be encouraged that way fortified in power for ministry witness and service and obedience and to the point that you were you were energized through the spirit right you didn't bring anything to the table that was good you, you recognized that you had nothing to offer and the Lord then worked through you and he received glory and so there's energizing there Refreshing. Verse 17 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. See, you can be refreshed with the knowledge of the indwelling Spirit of Christ. If you think about that, and, and that's part of the time that you spend in the Word, is you're, you're recognizing the Spirit of living Christ is living inside of you. And everything that you do and the time that you spend in the Word, all that refreshes you in that understanding. See, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you permanently and refreshed with the knowledge of, that God's disposition towards you is Love. You were planted in his love and your new life has grown out of that soil. Do you understand that? That is salvation in a nutshell, okay? When you come to faith and repentance and receive Christ as your Savior, you were planted in God's love and your life has grown out of that soil. Understand that, beloved. That is, that is refreshing. Each of these things, as you think about them, and, I mean, not just in casual, oh, well, that's great. You know, just one of those things, like it's like looking up at the stars. You know, you, don't, you do it so often, you don't see anything anymore, right? And then you have a little kid with you, uh, one of your kids, and they'll look up and say, Dad, look at the Big Dipper. And you're like looking up, and you're like, oh my goodness. Or like the full eclipse of the moon the other, a couple of months ago. Did you, watch, did you go outside and look at that? That was amazing. And when the moon went behind the shadow of the earth, the stars were Brilliant. That's the kind of thing. I don't want you to just look at this like, oh yeah, what's well, the stars? I want you to think about this kind of stuff, okay? And then verse 18, he says he says, this, may be able, so you're rooted and grounded in love and may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. You're refreshed with the dimensions of the expanding comprehension of the scope of Christ's care for you. Paul wants the church to understand the exact dimensions of God's care for you. Don't think that you're in some desert place where the Lord's not paying attention to you, okay? Paul says, I want you to know, I want you to be able to comprehend. So, in other words, you have that knowledge, but I want you to assimilate it, okay? With all the saints. So, we get taken in with, that, with this comment. All the saints. What's the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth refreshed with this expanding comprehension of the scope of Christ's care for you, displayed in his promises and his supply for your needs. Even in hardship, you can look back and say, you know, the Lord took care of us. We made it through there. I don't know how we made it through there, but we made it. Then he says this, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So you can be refreshed in the observation of the fruit of the Spirit coming to maturity in your life. I hope that you can. I hope that you begin to see uh, those kinds of things. That, that fruit of the Spirit, everything He's planned for you, beginning to show evidence. Love, joy, peace, you know, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith. You, know, you start seeing that fruit grow into maturity, you can be refreshed that the Lord is at work in you. When you deal with situations differently now than you did two years ago, when, when some annoyance comes into your life and your first thing is not to fly off the handle and give them a piece of your mind, but instead just say, hey, it's all mercy and I'm all right with it. I, I can be okay with this. Lord, you're just bringing this into my life to bring, make me more like Christ. When you, when you start responding that way, and you start seeing the fruit of the Spirit because that's not what the natural man does. Guess what? In the car on the way to work tomorrow, when somebody cuts you off or you cut someone else off and that person's unredeemed, they're not thinking, oh, Lord, just give me a spirit of peace. I'm good with it. No, that's not what they're doing. They're giving you the international sign of I hate you, Right? So recognize, listen, there's a significant difference between how you respond, controlled by the Spirit, and how the world's going to respond. And you should be seeing that more and more over the years. As you spend time in the Word, let the Word dwell in you richly with all wisdom. What happens? That fruit begins to be born in your life. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, another place that has some marvelous spots where we can see we're refreshed. in in verse 2 Paul says and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect there is renewing same word in the noun form as our passage of the mind that is so encouraging you're able to discern the will of God did you know that the Lord has made it possible for you to know what his good and perfect will is did you know that as you renew your mind by spending time in the word you can know what the right step is okay and that's very refreshing. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, and have put on the new self who is being renewed in true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Just pause right there. there. There's a renewal of knowledge that goes on in your life and you can be encouraged by this. Perhaps you came into salvation with a collection of worldly knowledge. You were uh, quite smart and you understood worldly knowledge and that has begun to be replaced by truth. That's the point. You had these ideas of how the world works and how people work and what, all that kind of stuff and that's slowly being exchanged and you can see the change in your worldview is a direct evidence and refreshing to you because God is at work in you. 1 Corinthians 15, 53. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. And of course, the same motivation that's motivated saints before us, the ones that motivate are being motivated in, in areas of danger right now in the world, you are renewed daily by the promise that this body, bound to decay, will be transformed into an immortal body fit for glory and holiness. That is your reality. The body that you have right now is going to be exchanged for one that is fit for forever in glory. That is your reality. That's your future. James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You can renew, renew daily, refresh daily by the promise that God will reward obedience. That is the response. That's what it means, loving the Lord. Obedience and loving the Lord. See, when you obey God's commands, that's the same as loving the Lord. So you can't just say, I love the Lord and then not do what he says because then you're just speaking two different things. But you can be renewed daily by the promise that God's gonna reward obedience. And just like Paul, we engage in the issues of life and the the troubles of life and we are assaulted by the natural processes of life and and by the difficulties in carrying out the Christian walk and and we're assaulted by persecution. Whatever else comes along, it could debilitate us, whatever it is, see? Uh, we must take our eyes off of that and realize that in in the mercy and the goodness and the grace of God there is this ever increasing work of the spirit of God in the inner man that's making us stronger and that's what you have to focus on See, Paul says listen I'm not focusing on physical strength I'm focusing on spiritual strength in James chapter 2 verse 5 he says listen my beloved brethren did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in, f- in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? So in the middle of the system of man, with all of its injustice and all of its wickedness, you can be renewed daily with a real hope of a kingdom that doesn't fade away. There's gonna be a kingdom coming that isn't gonna be like this kingdom. Okay, this one's temporary, and in the midst of all the injustice and all the hardship and all the horror of, of statements made by governors and by senators and whatever, you realize that someday that world system is going to be replaced by a kingdom that's never going to fade away, and none of that will exist anymore. And that is such a hope, right? I mean, we do what we can to change where we are, but eventually there, it's going to be changed. The Lord's going to change it. He's going to give the correct names to the correct people and get rid of the people who shouldn't be in those places, and the right people will be where they should be. See? And you can be refreshed when you think about that, see? And 2 Peter 3.13, just two more, we're going to move on. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that just kind of jumps off the last one. Renew the promise of a new heaven and a new earth, and it is ruled in righteousness and not in wickedness. 1 John 2.25 this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. renewed daily in the inner man by the promise of eternal life. Your reality. Your future. See. And which of those resonates with you? See. And there are dozens. more. we could have spent just that, the whole time just on that. In the middle of the hardship and the daily grind and the breaking down of the body in the middle of the affliction and perplexity so you don't know what the next step is and persecution and humiliation and being put down to a place that you didn't expect you'd be and 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 being sure he was, you know, you were going to die, and and you can look at all of it, and you can say in verse seventeen, look there in your next, in your copy of God's word, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. That's what he calls it. All the hardship, all the difficulty. He calls it a momentary, parotica. That's an adverb. The root has to do with buffeting when sailing. If you're a sailor, you know you can be set up in the wind and go and then there'll be a little buffeting wind and the sail just kind of moves a little bit and then fills back up again. That's, that's that idea. Perotica is that buffeting of the sail that occurs in the middle of, of, of your trek and you're heading out. Paul says, momentary, light, that's the adjective, elaphros, has to do with pushing something quickly. Usually men having to propel a large sailing ship with oars so you don't move it Very far. I mean, you put the oars in the water and you can move it, but you really rely on the wind. So Paul says it's momentary and it's light. So the idea Paul has carried along to convey is this next word, affliction. And we know that word well, don't we? Flipsis. That's the pressing pressure that occurs to squeeze out uh, olives, to squeeze out grapes, right? He says... All of these things, all the situations in my life, everything that I've gone through, all that we've talked about, beloved, all the passages we pulled out just to kind of give you a, kind of the high points of Paul's life, where he's been and what's gone on with him. All of those things. This is how he evaluates them. This is the sum of his evaluation of all the things we just looked at. Okay, takes in all the situations of his life. It's nothing more than a slight impediment to a trip. That's actually how he describes the pressures of this life. It would be easy for him to, you know, for us to say to him, you know, as we look at the Word of God, you know, Paul, you've had years of this, right? You are, you know, you're going through it now. You, you've got more of it to come before you die. It's every day. It's all the time. It never goes away. And he would probably say, oh, it's just momentary. It's momentary in comparison with the future because, as James said, life's a vapor appears for a little time and vanishes, right? This is it. This is what, this is what he would say. This is just a blip on the eternal and endless screen. See, it's the same thing he said in his letter to the church in Rome. He says in Romans 8, verse 18, he said, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to, to us. That's how he really lived. Beloved, there's gotta be something to that, right? If we wouldn't, if our life doesn't even close to compare to the difficulty Paul had, and he can say, this momentary light affliction and live that way, then there's got to be something to that, okay? And that's, a, that's a, I think, it just a, it's a dichotomy between where we are and where we should be, right? I mean, I can admit, I've got a long ways to go to be able to say that, and I think maybe you do as well, perhaps less than I do, but you have some ways to go. There's something to keeping this in perspective, see? That's what he's doing. He's keeping them in perspective. The difficulties are in perspective, Okay, And in comparison to eternity, can we embrace that? See, it, it, it makes them fade into the landscape of no more importance than a ruffling of the sail in the midst of a voyage. Where the sails are full, then you get a little buffeting wind and then, right? Of no, more, of no more consequence than men trying to row a large ship in some certain direction. It made very little difference to the course, see? That's the idea. And I've got a lot of ways to i got a long ways to go before I get there. How about you? And, and, and he's not done saying this, see? And that perspective gives us our next waypoint, and, and it's this last part of verse 17. Look, look what it says: momentary light affliction, and he says this, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. And this is key number 20. You're gonna have lasting ministry of fulfilled life when you value the future over the present. You've got to value the spiritual over the physical and you're gonna to have to value the future over the present. And you do that because, note this beloved, because you know that trouble has a causative effect on your future glory. Mark this, okay? We said this a bunch of times. Trouble has a causative effect on your future glory. What do I mean? What, what, regardless of what the body goes through, the life of the redeemed is not getting narrower and narrower and narrower until it reaches the grave where it ends, okay? Mark this, the life of the redeemed is getting broader and broader as the days the Lord have given us multiply, and eventually it's going to broaden out into this glorious eternity. Okay? That's, that's where you're headed. You're headed to this glorious eternity, and compared with the weight and the eternal character of the glory he's to experience as a result, Paul then just endures affliction in, in this present visible world by keeping before him the glories of the, of the yet unseen world, see? That's what he says. It's producing for us an eternal weight of glory. And Paul pulls you in too, okay? All the difficult times, all the afflictions are producing for you this eternal weight of glory. There's a positive effect. Paul's saying that there's a direct correlation. The more I suffer, the greater my eternal glory. That's right. They're connected. The more you suffer, it's producing an eternal weight of glory. It means a, a mass of it, something heavy. It tips the scales. Weight is the noun baros it, It's very heavy. And, and modified by the adjective eternal, hinoas is where we get the word eons of time. So heavy eons of time, of weight, of glory. Over a long period of time, we get to have this. See, this is the, the, the final state of your eternal body bearing the, this glory God has given to you without end. And it's hard, to get, it's hard to get your mind around that, isn't it, Paul's statement here. This, this is what it must mean when we see that word used elsewhere in the New Testament. So marvelous, right? The eons of time, this eternal weight of glory is going to belong to you directly related to the suffering that you go through. I mean, and, and this just pops in my mind here. But think about, do you remember when, when Jesus was, he was going to his passion and he's on the road and, and uh, the mother... Of, um, James and John come up and what do they ask Jesus? They say, will you grant it to my sons? Do you remember this? What what does she want him to say yes to? Yeah, to, to, to sit on my right and my left hand. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm gonna drink? What's the cup he's gonna drink? Crucifixion, right? remember in the garden he said if it be your will Lord let this cup pass from me even so thy will be done what's he saying you know the important seats who are they reserved for the ones who suffer right I mean, and then Jesus goes on and says my heavenly father is the one that gives out those seats he's the one who knows all of these things I don't think you can minimize this, beloved, that the hardships of your life and, and the difficulties and the suffering are directly related to this weight of glory that you can bear throughout all eternity, throughout all the eons, see. So it's very difficult to, to grab that, right? And Paul, Paul had a lot to look forward to. And, and it was such that he said the difference between the temporary life uh, troubles, these light troubles, and the reward to follow, he says, is far beyond all comparison, See? And it's the word we've seen so many times before, hupobole. It's In other words, there isn't anything in this old world that we compare this to. In other words, any causative relationship that we know of doesn't stack up sufficiently to illustrate what's going on here. Okay, The cause and the effect is so vastly different from the cause, this momentary light affliction, to the effect, this eternal weight of glory for all eternity. See? There's nothing in this world that we're, that's why he says it's far beyond all comparison. We can't find anything with that kind of bump that creates that much ripple, okay? That's the whole idea. Now, just as a footnote, okay? Pain is pain, okay? I mean, we're not Christian scientists and we don't say no pain, no pain, no pain, okay? Pain is real. And, and suffering is suffering. And if you think about Paul, you know, scars are scars and rocks are rocks. And rods are rods. And a beating is a beating, okay? And a whip's a whip. And defamation of character is defamation of character. And assassination of someone's integrity, it's that. And calling somebody names, it's still that. It's all that, okay? This is, real, this is real deal here. And you say, well, you know, how do we get through it? And then your answer is, well, God helps us. Yes, He does. You're right but he's doing it through a person made out of clay, right? Since is something going on out here and then you're here and it's like you're disconnected from it. This is the reality of pain and suffering and a whip and, and all of that, okay? So I don't want you to think somehow it's, it's different for Paul or it'll be different for us and, and a whip doesn't mean a whip and, and, and a stone doesn't mean a stone, okay? And pain doesn't mean pain. It does, okay? He's doing it through people, see? Made out of clay, this is real. We don't deny its reality. What Paul here it is, what Paul is saying is we deny that it matters. Okay? We're not denying that it's real. Paul's just denying that it matters. It doesn't matter any more than if I'm full before the wind, I get a little buffing of the sail as I stay on my course. It doesn't matter any more than we dipping the oars in for a second in the middle of a of a trip. I'm not gonna make any more difference. It doesn't matter, Paul says. It's not that it doesn't exist, and not that it isn't real, it's not that it won't be severe, see? It just, it doesn't matter. That's the, that's the idea. It's real, but in comparison, then, it isn't important, see? It's a trivial annoyance. That's, what, that's, that's Paul's, Paul's opinion of it. On the one hand, it's light and momentary, and then on the other hand, it's far more than that because it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's made a, ri- a ripple that's huge, see, in comparison. It's having a positive effect. Physical suffering uh, defamation, disappointment, all the things that men's suffered, the life decaying, being thrown into the waste, all of that, all producing something, something worth having, beloved, for all eternity, obviously. Something worth having for all eternity. Let's finish up with Paul's last statement in this chapter. We'll close. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is our last waypoint. Paul's final key in his, to his success in lasting ministry and, and certainly his fulfilled life. Here it is. People who come to the end of lasting ministry and faithfulness and come to the end of a fulfilled life are people who value the unseen over the seen. And Paul isn't talking about some imaginary world that lives in his dreams, okay? He's talking about a reality that's about to be revealed. And that's really the difference. When we talk about heaven and eternity and reward and everything made new and a new physical body and the presence of Christ, beloved, those are realities. And we should speak of them and think of them in that way. You know, children are a lot better at this than adults. Have you ever noticed that? I've always been so interested in listening as my sons grew up talk about eternity. I mean, they begin to talk about the eternal state. I'm all ears. Because, you know, they'll read about features of the eternal state and immediately embrace those things as their reality. Dad, we get to do X. It's going to be like this see it's not like maybe it will or like not that important they kind of brush it off or whatever it's it's real see and that's factual it is real see and that's always been very encouraging to me very very grounding the realities of heaven are certainties for them they and, and here it is they haven't here's why okay they haven't cultivated a love for the world and for sin so they have a pure desire for the presence of Christ. Right? That's what, dulls the, that's what dulls the senses for the presence of Christ, right? That's what we read last week with the young man who had taken captive there at that Chinese church, right? And he got into prison and he realized that he really did love the world. And he had desire for the world and the things of the world. And that's why the things of Christ and, and he wasn't really crucified to the world, he still loved it. And that dims, that dims the view, doesn't it? cultivated sin and baggage. You don't talk about the eternal state anymore. You're just talking about the world. See? And, you know, children know that the one who designed everything here that even in its broken state can bring so much joy, family and games and nature and happiness and worship and relationships and vacations and all the stuff that comes along with living in this world. They know with the sure it is, and Now listen, beloved. They know this surely that the one who designed all of that is to be trusted to design a new heaven and a new earth with us in mind for our eternal joy and our delight in his presence forever. They know that for sure. Do you know that for sure? That the one who designed this broken world, and in the midst of the broken world, we can have joy. Did you know the one who designed this, the world stained by sin, is designing another one with you in mind where you get to stay with him forever? That eternal state will never be broken, and you'll enjoy his presence forever, for, as long, for the eons of time. See, that's the reality that Paul's thinking about. And, and again, you know, it's, it's hard to connect with that, isn't it? Can we go through the difficult times and, then, and be looking forward to the eternal state as a reality enough so that it won't buy us out of our relationship with the Lord? See, these difficult times are not enough to buy us out. That's Paul's life, see, that's Paul's life. All the objects, all the possessions, all the ideas, all the systems, all the standards, all the ambitions, the achievements, they're all part of a passing world order. All of those guys, okay, whatever you're hanging on to, all those standards, your physical ability, your ideas, you know, all your possessions, all your achievements, they're they're part of a passing world order. It doesn't matter a bit to Paul, see? And if he never had a fortune and if he never had a bank account and if he never had a house and never had an estate, if he never started an organization or or belonged to one, if he never had a respected career or a place of prominence or fame or celebrity or earthly accomplishment or whatever, it didn't matter. Why? Because what mattered was what was to come and the rest he counted as refuge. Lasting ministry, a fulfilled life will embrace those things that are to come. If you want that, that's got to be your perspective, okay? Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. is noted for saying, "Some people are so heavenly-minded that they are no earthly good." Did you know he said that? Yeah. Have you ever heard that? People said. I've heard somebody say that as if that's true. And Paul says no to that. No. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. What am I focusing on? Not the things that are seen. because the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. Lasting ministry knows that the right perspective, spiritual strength over physical strength, future over present, unseen over seen puts everything else in its correct focus. See? The suffering, the good, the bad, all of that comes in the correct focus when we have these things as our waypoints, okay? Spiritual strength over physical strength. Future over present, unseen over seen. Those are our last waypoints. And we'll close with that. Let the Lord work through our own hearts. Lord, we thank you today for an ability to read your word, for an opportunity to uh, see this marvelous passage, one of my favorites in all the word of God, that really put things in perspective for me. And Father, I admit to you, that I seem like I'm far away from there. But I don't want to be. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help us all to embrace these things in the good times, in the bad times, whatever we're going through, hardship. Uh, Goodness, uh, blessing, um, all those things that are part of the day to day life, looking in the mirror and realizing that, you know, uh, there's more in the bottom of the hourglass than there is in the top. And it's not that those things are not real. It's not that our hardship is not real. It's not that pain isn't pain. It's just that in light of the future, it's not important. Help us to grasp those realities, Father. Help us to enjoy this lofty position that you've given us, even though it doesn't seem like we have it. It is as real as the chair we're sitting on, as the building we're, we're sitting in. Uh, those realities are real. They are there. It describes who we are. It describes our future as sure as if we were already standing there. Lord, help us to be encouraged that way. Help us to have childlike faith. Uh, there's there's no way we're going to embrace this when we embrace the goodness of the world and how great the world is and concerned about our pro, uh, uh, our, our investments and our, our uh, achievements and our position and all of that, then, then the future doesn't look that great. But that's just sinfulness and baggage, and we want to be, we want to be rid of all of that. So, Father, I pray to you do your work as you see fit, Lord. We don't pretend to know uh, what's going on in the lives of individuals, but I pray that you'll be encouraging to them as you, we know you are, and and to guide them and and lift them up. you're not one that snuffs out a smoldering reed or crushes a vine lord we know that you built up and so i pray that you use these passages to encourage those who are going through hardship and for us if we're not going through difficult times or we've been them been in them in the past we look back and we can see your hand at work there and be encouraged that you had a purpose in mind you don't waste any suffering you don't waste any hardship you don't waste any abuse none of that but you've created all of that Uh, that we may, and allow that to be in our life, that we may be, um, have the response that you desire. Lord, you've allowed it to be there, and you want us our response to be a certain way. Lord, I pray that we'll be conformed to your image. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and all God's people say, Amen.